Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. So much to talk about this week. We had a record-setting performance from Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It was so much fun to watch the numbers on that movie go up and up and up as the estimates came in over the weekend. We also had history in a different way being made by Morbius, and one that I don't think that the makers behind that movie are too happy about. A lot going on in the limited release box office. We had everything everywhere all at once, expanding to wide release. So much to get to, but before I do, I want to, as always, thank my partners here on Charts with Dan. Carbon Health. We've been partners here on the show for quite a while, and we're going to be partners for quite a while longer, and I'm really, really happy to be paired up with them, because it's not just a sponsorship, it is a true partnership, because I believe in their mission, which is to provide accessible and affordable health care to as many people as possible. If you want to learn more about Carbon Health, you can download their app, where you can find one of their clinics. They have physical clinics in over a dozen states. They also have virtual appointments. I want to thank Carbon Health for their partnership, and I'm happy to be doing the show alongside them. So let's jump into the weekend box office and as I mentioned Sonic the Hedgehog 2 we knew it was going to be the number one movie this weekend unless something catastrophic happened but actually the opposite happened which is that it blew past all projections and came in at 72.1 million dollars that was the final number it was higher even than the final estimated number yesterday and that puts it over the top in a few different categories so first of all what a great performance and like I said it kind of feels like a full circle moment the last big movie to open uh before the pandemic started shutting down theaters was Sonic the Hedgehog. It actually had its theatrical run shortened by the fact that that theaters were closing uh, way back in early 2020. Here now we have a great opening for that movie. It was actually the sixth highest opening in Paramount's history. It was their biggest opening in nearly a decade, so Paramount's very happy to see how this movie is doing. And it also set top marks for the video game genre. Looking at the top video game adaptation openings of all time, you see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 topping itself. The first Sonic the Hedgehog movie was the previous highest grossing video game adaptation with $58 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 easily passes that with its $72.1 million. That bumps Pokemon Detective Pikachu down to number 3, Lara Croft Tomb Raider down to number 4, and then this year's Uncharted down to number 5 with its $44 million opening. But you see here perhaps some momentum. It seems like there have been so many stops and starts and dead ends with adapting video games into movies, but we have now, in 20 2022, two of the top five openings of all time, generally well-regarded movies. I think Sonic the Hedgehog 2 maybe a little bit more, but Uncharted certainly did not have the stink that so many other video game adaptations had on it. I enjoyed that film, and I haven't enjoyed a whole lot of video game movies. And now we see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 coming in and setting that all-time mark. But you know what we do here on the show, especially when we have something as long-lived as video game movies. We like to even the playing field a little bit and adjust for inflation. And Sonic the Hedgehog 2 actually holds up pretty well when you adjust for inflation, but never underestimate the power of turn-of-the-century Angelina Jolie, because when you adjust for inflation, Lara Croft Tomb Raider just ekes out Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with an adjusted opening of almost $76 million. Then we have the two Sonic the Hedgehog movies at 2 and 3, and then Pokemon also makes some big inroads with Pokemon the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, with an adjusted opening of $55 million, and then Pokemon Detective Pikachu staying in the top 5 at number 5. So a great opening for Paramount, a great opening for the video game adaptation genre, and also a great opening for Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey playing Dr. Robotnik. This was actually, believe it or not, a career best opening 
for Jim Carrey, the highest opening film of his career. It topped Bruce Almighty, which was at 67.9 million. That was the previous number one. But now we have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number one. Bruce Almighty bumps down to number two. The original Sonic the Hedgehog at number three. How the Grinch Stole Christmas at number four. And Batman Forever at number five. And I think when you look at those numbers, you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Good for Jim Carrey. He has this hit. But again, when we talk about evening the playing field, and maybe this is even more so than the video game adaptations, there's certain things that you tend to take for granted when you grow up at a certain time. And for me, one of those is the absolute dominance of Jim Carrey. But I've realized as I read the reviews and see reactions to Sonic that especially the younger viewers, the, the people that are really being targeted a lot uh, by the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, don't really remember just how much of a big deal Jim Carrey was, particularly in the 90s and going into the early 2000s. So let's take Jim Carrey's opening weekends, let's adjust them for inflation, and you get a little bit more perspective in just how big of a box office draw Jim Carrey was at his height. When you adjust for inflation, his number one opening of all time was Batman Forever with $113.7 million. And I know a lot of people would say like, well, it's an ensemble movie. Trust me, a lot of that movie was being sold on Jim Carrey. Sometimes it's shocking for me even when I adjust these numbers. If you adjust for inflation, Bruce Almighty had an opening weekend of over $100 million. That is almost unheard of for a comedy. And that, in my mind, is 100% the star power of Jim Carrey. A couple years before that, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with an opening weekend of $93.3 million. Again, this number blew my mind when you adjusted it for inflation. Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, which is the follow-up to Ace Ventura Pet Detective, part of his trio of movies that broke through in 1994, $78 million opening when it came out back in 1995. That is 100% Jim Carrey. That is a huge opening. I remember that opening well. I was in middle school. Everybody was quoting that movie. Ace Ventura was such a popular character and again that is just how white hot he was and then Sonic the Hedgehog 2 still remaining in the top five even when you adjust for inflation a 72.1 million dollar opening so stays in the top five for Jim Carrey but uh, you know there's been a lot of talk he's kind of said that he may be taking a step back from acting unless a really good script comes his way but maybe hopefully at this point people are going to start writing some really good scripts for Jim Carrey because this is the other thing was he wasn't just a box office star he wasn't just a comedian he's one hell of a great actor and he didn't always get those chances to shine and when he did, he was often overlooked because people just saw him talking out of his butt from the Ace Ventura movies. So let's hope that somebody, please, somebody write a great movie for Jim Carrey, like an Oscar-winning movie for Jim Carrey, because I love him. I love his commitment. I love his performances. I love his movies. Maybe he hasn't always made the best choices, but he has been in some of the best movies, some of my favorite movies, comedy and drama. And maybe this will be the momentum shift that will get a Quentin Tarantino-type filmmaker to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to write a script for Jim Carrey. I'd like to see that. So Sonic the Hedgehog 2, a big story, obviously, this weekend. But an equally large story, at least as far as I was concerned, was Morbius. We talked last week about the fact that Morbius opened about as expected. And you know what? It wasn't a very expensive movie, uh, especially when you judge it against the rest of the comic book genre. But let's see how it does in its second weekend. Well, if the question is, how did Morbius do in its second weekend? The answer is very, very bad. It was almost a historically bad weekend for Morbius. It just got saved from that. We'll talk about that in a second. But when we talk about things like cinema score, and we said last week Morbius had a really bad cinema score, this is what happens because that is word of mouth. That is people saying, hey, you should go see this movie. Or as it seems happened with Morbius, hey, you really shouldn't go see this movie because it had a massive drop-off. $10.2 million in second place, but a 74% drop. I think the actual percentage was like 739 
11%. And that's not just bad. It is one of the worst drops in the history of comic book movies. So let's break it down a little bit. First of all, looking just at Marvel films and in and out of the MCU, Morbius had the worst second weekend drop off by percentage of any Marvel film ever released. 73.9%. Dark Phoenix, congratulations, you are off the hook. Dark Phoenix previously had the worst second weekend drop-off of any Marvel film with 71.5%. That is now bumped to number two. Hulk is at number three with 69.7%. That would be Ang Lee's Hulk. And then Elektra and X-Men Origins Wolverine at numbers four and five, both tied with a second weekend drop-off of 69%. Nice. So Morbius is worst when it comes to Marvel films. What happens when you throw DC in the mix? Well, it turns out that Morbius is saved by perhaps one of the most unlikely DC superheroes, Shaquille O'Neal, also known as Steel, which opened at number 16, I believe at under $200,000. It was an absolute flop, one of the biggest bombs in superhero history, but it saves Morbius because Steel's second weekend had a 78% drop-off, which beats out Morbius at 73.9%. Dark Phoenix is number three at 71.5%, and then with the same percentage is last year's The Suicide Squad, which hurts my heart because I love that movie. Of course, you have to add the asterisk that the Suicide Squad was also available on HBO Max, so it was essentially competing with itself. And then we have Hulk at number five with its 69.7%. So how does Morbius fare when you throw in all comic book movies? These are all movies ever made based on a comic book or a graphic novel. And it turns out it still comes in second. So you have Steel at 78%, Morbius still in number two at 73.9%. That just beats out, I guess, The Crow City of Angels, which drops 72.2%, then Dark Phoenix at number four, and The Suicide Squad at number five. So when you shake down all the data, Morbius had the second worst weekend by percentage of any comic book movie ever made, second only to one of the biggest financial flops and biggest creative flops, if you ask me, although some people like it, for any comic book movie ever made, which was Steel. And, and I talk about, again, taking things for granted. I was surprised because I tweeted a little bit about this over the weekend, how many people didn't know that Shaquille O'Neal was in a DC movie based off of the Superman-adjacent kind of spinoff hero, Steel. But he indeed was, and it indeed was not a financial success. And something I kind of noticed when I was looking at these two two movies next to each other and this couldn't have been planned but the posters kind of look alike when you put them side by side you have a glowering hero there's like a a natural man-made hole in the center of them on with steel it's the moon there's a cave with morbius nobody could have known what was going to happen but perhaps fate was trying to tell us something or trying to warn us perhaps there was a time traveling element involved anyway morbius uh there's really no spinning it a horrific second weekend. It does put into perspective its opening last week because that huge drop-off this week, yeah, it may still break even. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, the worldwide numbers, etc. And then you add in people renting it and, and physical media. So it may still break even, but uh, any of the optimism that may have come from last week, and I was saying like, well, you know, it was a cheap movie. It opened about where I expected. This offsets it completely because uh, it is just a historically bad drop-off. So, sorry, thanks for playing Morbius, but uh, uh, you fooled people maybe last week uh, no more, because the bottom is absolutely going to drop off this week with the competition that it has coming up. Looking at the rest of the top five, the Lost Cities in third place with a 39% drop in its third week. You know who's actually probably happy about Morbius doing so poorly? Is Michael Bay, because Ambulance opened in fourth place with $8.6 million, but I feel like because Morbius did so poorly, nobody's really talking about the fact that Michael Bay also had his lowest opening weekend at the box office 
ever. $8.6 million, that comes in below his previous low film, which was 2005's The Island. And the last couple years, there have always been some qualifiers. Well, the pandemic, well, people are slow to come back. I think we've run out of those at this point. I mean, the overall business may be depressed just a little bit, especially for an adult skewing film. Ambulance is rated R. But at the same time, I just think people weren't necessarily interested in seeing this movie. Maybe it was the timing, the fact that it was competing uh, with Sonic the Hedgehog 2 uh, and the remnants of Morbius and The Lost City, which is kind of an adult skewing film. But maybe the Michael Bay name doesn't sell like it should. This is the first Michael Bay film that was a non-Transformers film that hit theaters since 2016. So it's not like his name is really in the zeitgeist as a director necessarily on its own. You had Six Underground, which was on Netflix, but even that was about three years ago. And the ironic thing is that this is Michael Bay's lowest opening, but right now it's jockeying along with The Rock to be his most critically acclaimed film. Now it's at like 60 something percent, but for Michael Bay, that's really good. I mean, I gave it a good review, and I have certainly had my issues with Michael Bay in the past. Michael Bay would shoot parts of one scene in three, three, not two, three different aspect ratios. The whole movie is doing this, pops in and out. It's like, my God, if you're not giving me epilepsy with this action already, the screen's doing this the whole time. It's like, you! No planning whatsoever, and I swear to God he did it on purpose. So it's actually almost a record positive reception critically for Michael Bay, but the lowest opening of his career box office-wise. We'll see how Ambulance does in the next several weeks, but we are getting very close to the summer movie season. That runway for movies to just play and play and play for weeks is running out quickly. And rounding out the top five in its sixth week was The Batman. It took a 41% drop, but stays in the top five with just under 65 million dollars. Breaking it down into the per theater averages, Sonic was number one. It brought in $17,000 at each of the over 4,200 theaters that it played. So just another underscoring of uh, its strong performance. If you had a theater that was playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I bet you were very happy with the number of people that came in this weekend. At number two was a re-release. There's a remastering of the David Lynch film Inland Empire. It played in two theaters to $11,000 per theater. Also in two theaters was a documentary called Viva Maestro that brought in just over $7,000. In 13 theaters, another documentary called Waterman with just under $5,000 per theater. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has been dominating this per theater chart because it was in limited release the past couple weeks. It expanded to over 1,200 theaters, but it stays on the list uh, of the highest per theater averages, bringing in just under $5,000 per theater, which means that it brought in more per theater than Morbius, more than Ambulance, really more than any other wide release except for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It'll be interesting to see how Everything Everywhere All at Once does. I finally did get a chance to see it. I drove a couple hours away to one of those 1,250 theaters. You can catch that review right here on the channel. There's a little thing up in the corner that you can click. One of my favorite movies of the year, if not my favorite movie of the year, and certainly the most unique movie you're going to see so far this year. Highly recommended for me. We'll see how it does as it continues to expand. When we look at 2022's top per theater averages overall, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 did enough business to break in at number five. So now Everything Everywhere All at Once 
posted the best per theater average of the year with $50,000 per theater the weekend that it opened just a couple weeks ago, followed by the worst person in the world, the first weekend of the Batman, the second weekend of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and now the first weekend of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So a nice combination of big wide releases and smaller limited releases. That's what you like to see on these charts because it means that some of the smaller films are drawing crowds, but also some of the bigger films are drawing enough people to actually make some money get this recovery going. And speaking of recovery, I have a familiar chart, although I did make an adjustment based on your suggestions. I have been doing a chart that compared last year's box office to this year's box office and then 2019's box office. But a lot of people said, and rightfully so, that 2019 was such a crazy year. You had Avengers Endgame. It's tough to compare one year's box office against a year where it's kind of anomalous. And and I agree with that criticism or, or suggestion. And so what I did was I went and I took the weekend figures for 2015 15 through 2019, so five years worth of figures. I averaged them, and then I put them in as the basis of comparison now for this year versus 2021, and now an average of the box office weekend by weekend for 2015 through 2019. So this is what the old chart looked like, and you can see that big spike with Avengers Endgame, etc. This is what the new chart looks like, and as you can see, it is much more compact. You still have those big spikes in the summer weeks, but this is much more representative of the overall flow of the box office. So thank you for that suggestion. I think it was a great suggestion, and as you can see, we had a big uptick uh, from last week that's largely due to Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and looking at this upcoming week, I think there's a chance if Fantastic Beasts... Uh, three, the secrets and crimes of Grindeldor, or whatever it's called, uh, does well that we could see for the second time this year, the 2022 box office now spiking above the average box office for the five years prior to the pandemic. And you can also see when you look at last year's box office, the pattern was very similar to what we've seen on average. It was just a little bit depressed. So it really kind of underscores what we were already seeing uh, from last year. So we're going to keep looking at that. Thank you for that suggestion. I like this look much better with the average we weekend box office for all of those years and it'll be very interesting to see how does this summer work we've got dr strange we've got maverick we have so many different movies coming out uh this is a really cool thing so always love hearing your suggestions and who knows I might even incorporate them into the show. You might see one or two more later on in this episode. Looking this weekend at the films that were in limited release, so this is 1,000 theaters or fewer, the 25th anniversary of Selena, the movie Selena, is upon us, and it played in 427 theaters in its first week. It made $141,000, so a big weekend for Jennifer Lopez. She gets re-engaged to Ben Affleck. She's at the head of the limited release box office chart. Good for you, J-Lo. The Contractor comes in at number two in its second week with $140,000, followed by Mothering Sunday in its third week with $87,000. The documentary Waterman in 42 theaters at $58,000. And then out of Sundance, the film You Won't Be Alone in its second week takes a bit of a drop but stays on the top five in the limited release chart with a total of $49,000. Looking at the 2022 limited release films in general, and this is another suggestion that you had, Everything Everywhere All at Once, as I mentioned, was in limited release and moved out of limited release this past weekend. And originally, I was just going to take those films off the chart completely when they moved out of limited release. However, someone suggested, hey, what if you just basically freeze their grosses 
on this chart, when we look at the top 10 for this year of movies playing in limited release, just freeze their grosses from the point where they exited uh, limited release, basically from where they went into a thousand theaters or more. That's a great idea, and that's exactly what I did. So these are the top 10 grocers in limited release for 2022. BTS still number one with $6.8 million, followed by Cyrano and the worst person in the world. And then you see everything everywhere all at once at number four. So on Thursday, the day before it went into 1,200 theaters, its gross was $2,387,178. I've basically frozen it in time there. So that's where it's going to be locked in on the limited release chart. Uma is at number five, followed by Radhashyam at number six, the 2022 Oscar shorts at number seven, the Cashmere Files at number eight, the Godfather 50th anniversary at number nine, and the Beatles get back in IMAX at number 10. When we look at the box office market share for the year, Paramount, the big mover and shaker this week, due to the strength of Sonic the Hedgehog 2's opening, it picks up 4% market share just this weekend for the year in total. So Paramount now claiming 18% of the ticket sales for 2022 year to date. Sony stays at 31%. Warner Brothers loses 1%. It's now made up 25% of ticket sales for 2022. However, it's looking to make a big jump this week with a fantastic beasts and the secrets of, of rumble bore universal staying with a 10 percent stake disney fox still just kind of playing a little rope-a-dope with the box office before it springs dr strange on us at six percent MGM UA drops 1%, as does the other category, Lionsgate staying at 2%. It'll be interesting to see what Warner Brothers does this upcoming week, depending on how big the opening for the newest Wizarding World film is. Before we move on, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Stamps.com. When you hear the word small business, a lot of people forget that to the person running the small business, it is anything but small. The business to a small business owner is the most important thing in their lives, and that's why it's important to do things that not only save you time, but save you money. And that's where stamps.com comes in. First of all, you save time by not having to take so many trips to the post office, especially if you're doing a business running from home where you're doing merch and stuff. So many people are doing that nowadays. You don't have to take 15 trips a week to the post office. You can print postage right from your computer. You can schedule a pickup right to your doorstep. Scheduling those pickups saves you time and the rates that you can find on stamps.com save you money, including up to 40% off of the U.S. Postal Service and up to 76% off of UPS. Stamps.com is has been an indispensable service for over a million businesses for over two decades and it's because you don't need any special equipment all you need is a computer and a standard printer and within minutes you can be printing postage for any letter any package anywhere stop overpaying for shipping with stamps.com and right now you can sign up with the promo code merle that's m-u-r-r-e-l-l for a special offer that includes a four-week trial free postage and a digital scale with no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps Dot com. Click the microphone at the top of the page and enter the promo code MERL to get your special offer. And I want to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring today's show. Looking outside the domestic box office, let's see what the number one films were internationally. And it actually was not Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It was the movie that will likely be the number one movie worldwide next week. And that is, and I can read it now, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which got a head start in a lot of markets uh, outside of the domestic marketplace this past weekend. It was the number one movie internationally with $58 million, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with $37 million, Morbius with $15 million, 
The bad guys continuing to play outside the domestic marketplace ahead of its opening here at 7.4 million and the Batman at 6.6 million. When you take the domestic marketplace, you smash it together with the international marketplace, you get the worldwide box office and the number one film worldwide is Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with a total of around $108 million. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is at number two. The expectation would be that it would be number one next week, but you never know. Crazy things can happen. Morbius is at number three with $25 million worldwide, followed by The Batman at number four with $13 million and Ambulance with $11.5 million. Looking at the 2022 worldwide box office in general, The Batman stays at number one, extending its lead to a total of $736 million, followed by The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 with $637 million, Too Cool to Kill at number three, followed by Uncharted, which is getting close to that $400 million number. Can it make it there? Nice View at number five with $216 million, so no change in the top five there. Boonie Bear stays at number six. Then we have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 entering the chart with $142 million. It could possibly be in the top five in the next week or two. Scream drops down one spot to number eight, followed by Death on the Nile at number nine. And then Morbius, despite its Porbius <laughs> performance at the domestic box office this past weekend jumps into the worldwide top 10 with 126.3 million dollars that drops out sniper and triple r or rrr depending on how you pronounce it although i think morbius is in a very precarious position i don't think we're going to see it there for very long let's look now at the 365 day chart so basically if you take today you wind the calendar back one year these are the top 10 movies for the previous year spider-man no way home obviously will be at the top of that chart maybe for the whole 365 days who knows the battle at late Changjin at number two no time to die at number three the batman moves up one more spot it now has james bond in its sights with $736 million. That drops F9 down to number five, although F9 is about 46, 47 days away from graduating off of this chart and joining the 365-day Hall of Fame. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 is at number six, followed by Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Too Cool to Kill, and Eternals. And if Uncharted can make it to that $400 million mark before any other movie, which, uh, who knows, Sonic, Fantastic Beasts, there could be some that get there before it, then it could knock Eternals back off of the top 10 it's just a matter of time and box office let's look at the 2022 domestic box office the top three remain the same the batman at 358 million uncharted at number two with 142 million scream at number three with 81.6 million then we have sonic the hedgehog 2 with a 72.1 million dollar total jumping onto the chart at number four it is very likely going to be even before this upcoming weekend the third film of the year to break 100 million dollars domestically the lost city moves up one spot to number five dog drops down two spots as does jackass forever to number six and seven morbius stays at number eight it might move up a little bit but it's going to start dropping down that chart pretty quickly death on the nile drops down two spots to 45.5 million dollars jujutsu kaisen zero the movie drops down one spot to number 10 it will likely be gone after fantastic beast three uh debuts this weekend although you never know crazy things happen and then marry me drops out of the chart so sorry j-lo one little small piece of bad news this weekend but that's offset by some much better news before we move on to the streaming charts i always like to take a little look back at a weekend in box office history and we are going to go back now to april 7th through 9th 1995 it's weird how history keeps on serving us up these weird little coincidences because this past weekend 27 years ago we had another michael bay film that was actually able to open at number one and that is bad boys it was his debut directorial feature at 15.5 million dollars it also helped to really launched the film career of one Will Smith 
who you may have heard a thing or two about lately. At number two is a movie that I actually didn't realize was Beloved uh, until I got much, much older, which is a goofy movie. And I don't mean Beloved by people younger than me. I mean Beloved by people like my age. It opened in second place at $6.1 million. And I wasn't even into college before I heard people talking about a goofy movie. And I realized that like, oh, wow, like people my age like really enjoyed this movie. We're all, we were all right at the cusp, you know, 11, 12 years old. I was much more in the camp of the movie that was at number three, which is Tommy Boy at $6.1 million in its second week. Still my favorite Chris Farley comedy. I know everybody has theirs, but I love Tommy Boy. It's so stupid, uh, but so amazing. At number four is Don Juan DeMarco in its opening weekend with $4.5 million. Johnny Depp, Marlon Brando, Faye Dunaway. What a weird combination in that film. If nothing else, it gave us a great Brian Adams song. And then at number five is Outbreak. The mid-90s were a big deal for like those little capuchin monkeys you had outbreak you also had friends uh it turns out 27 years later it's also a big deal for pandemics so what do you know i guess relevance does change over time but what an interesting top five when you look back on it. it's kind of something for everybody r-rated action movie disney kids movie kind of teenage skewing uh dumb comedy a romance movie with johnny depp and then uh, drama with Rene Russo and Dustin Hoffman and, and, uh, and Morgan Freeman. So back April 7th through 9th, 1995, no matter what you wanted to see, there was something there for you. Let's wrap up the show, as always, by taking a look at the streaming charts. And we'll look first at Amazon, what people are watching the most on Prime videos. So this is not what they're renting. These are the things that are available to watch if you have a Prime membership. At number one is the Amazon original film, All the Old Knives, which premiered just this past weekend. Reacher Season 1 stays at number two followed by the outlaws season one the marvelous mrs Maisel season four and upload season two at number six is lizzo's watch out for the big girls which remains in the top 10 followed by hotel transylvania four and master the wheel of time season one returns to the chart as amazon slows down a little bit the number of originals that it's releasing for the time being and at number 10 is the protege the only non-amazon original or amazon acquisition on this chart looking at what people are watching and renting over on itunes at number one is Spider-Man No Way Home, currently available for purchase, although I think that that rental window is opening soon. I know it hits physical media this week. I'm very excited because I'm one of those crazy people that still collects physical media. Moonfall at number two, available for purchase, followed by Sing 2, continuing to make money for Universal. Death on the Nile, the rental window opens on that film. It's at number four, followed by The Contractor, which, as we saw earlier, is also in limited release. Marry Me is at number six. Ghostbusters Afterlife returns to the chart at number seven. Sonic the Hedgehog. I think a lot of people catching up with the first movie before they saw the sequel jumps back onto the chart at number eight. House of Gucci is at number nine. And then The Outfit, which is available for purchase and premium video on demand rental. I've heard some good things about this movie. I know that uh, Chris Stuckman, who was in the middle of making a movie, has said that uh, he really liked The Outfit. So it must be good. If you can take time out for making a movie uh, to recommend another movie, uh, that's something that I'm definitely going to check out at my earliest possible convenience. And finally, let's see what people are watching on Netflix. As we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, I use my own little Merle metric. This is a chart that estimates possible finished views. So I take the total number of hours watched, I divide it by how many hours long each of these series or movies is, and that will give you the estimated number of people that could have finished the entire thing. I think it's just a way to sort of balance out uh, series and movies and different lengths, etc. And Bridgerton Season 2 stays at number one. It actually has a 
higher estimate of percentage of finished views than last week with 30, which means that up to 30 million people could conceivably have finished the entire series just in this past week uh, that Netflix tracked, which is the March 28th through April 3rd. And I, I talked last week about the fact that when you look at it versus a lot of other shows, it says that a lot of folks who watch Bridgerton uh, binged it the first week because there were it was a very high number of people that finished it. Here, when you look at the second week, the fact that you have even more people that could technically have finished the whole thing. I think that says that number one, you have a lot of folks that are continuing to watch that did not drop off from the first week. Number two, you have people that are hearing the buzz about Bridgerton and starting to watch. And then you have people that are jumping in and binging the whole thing. Maybe they didn't have time the first week, but they're doing it the second week. It is a great indicator of popularity and Bridgerton, no surprise, remains an extremely popular series on Netflix. There's actually a big drop down. The next one is All Hail, which is a Netflix film, which had 12.3 million possible finished views, followed by The Adam Project with a PFV number of 9.7. Then the Netflix original movie Trust No One, The Hunt for the Crypto King with a PFV number of 8. Bridgerton season one, so a, a fair number of people catching up, maybe watching or rewatching the first season of Bridgerton at number five there. The Netflix original movie In Good Hands at number six, followed by Black Crab at number seven. The Bubble. This is an interesting case because it has a possible finished views number of 5.92 million. This is a movie from Judd Apatow, and this is a huge contrast to what we saw when Don't Look Up came out, which was Adam McKay's film, which was kind of in the same space. It's a big all-star comedy. However, not as much interest with the bubble. You can't really blame critics because critical reaction to Don't Look Up also wasn't great. There just doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of interest in this story. Maybe people don't know what it is. They don't know the prestige involved, but not a huge number that you might expect from uh, a Judd Apatow Netflix exclusive new movie. Is It Cake Season 1? Is it number 9? And then the only non-Netflix original on this chart, Shrek Forever After at number 10. Potentially 4.9 million users watching Shrek Forever After this past week. Probably a bunch of kids that watched it three times. Who knows? And that wraps it up for Charts with Dan. It's a big weekend coming up. We have not only the Easter celebrations, which are happening all around the world, but a lot of stuff entering the marketplace. We have the Mark Wahlberg film Father Stew, which is getting a jump on the Easter holiday. It's opening in theaters on Wednesday. Of course, we have Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which is opening domestically here this upcoming weekend. A couple of really interesting films that I saw at Sundance that are getting limited release. If you see these films, if they are near you, I would recommend both of them. One of them is called Duel. It stars Karen Gillan as a woman who has to fight a clone of herself. Really interesting movie. And then one that was the big winner out of Sundance. And when I say big winner, I mean it won the overall Sundance Prize. It won the Audience Award. And that is a documentary called Navalny. It is a documentary about... Vladimir Putin's main critic, Alexei Navalny, and the story around his attempted assassination, trying to find those responsible. I saw the movie back in January. Just in the less than three months since then, Alexei Navalny has been given an extensive prison sentence in Russia. And of course, Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine. So as urgent as this documentary was back in January, it is even more so right now. It's playing in limited release. I believe it will be on HBO Max soon. I'm not sure if it is one of those uh, simultaneous releases, but if you have a chance to see Navalny, it is a really fascinating documentary and, and even more current than anyone could have predicted just a couple months ago. Also opening in theaters nationwide is a much-hyped film out of India 
called KGF Chapter 2. I've heard a lot of folks uh, hyping this up and saying that we could see another big pop at the box office, much like we did uh, with Triple R. And then hitting Netflix is a movie called Choose or Die, starring Asa Butterfield. A lot of other movies, as always, hitting the limited release and streaming marketplaces, but these are a few that you might want to keep an eye out for. Thank you so much for watching the show. Again, I'd like to thank my partners at Carbon Health and my sponsors at Stamps.com. It's going to be a busy week here on the channel. I'm going to have some announcements coming up in the next day or two about upcoming shows and the return of all my movies. I finally have news to share, and you're going to see it sooner than you think, so stay tuned for that. I'll also have a review of Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Right now, I'm going to be seeing it on Thursday afternoon at the first showing that I can get here in town, and I'll get my review out as soon as I can. I know there's a lot of other reviews that have already come out, but hey, I can only review it once I see the movie, and that's the soonest I can see the movie. So look out for that. And, of course, anything else tied to movie news, reviews, etc. There's always something that I want to see, or maybe if I see something that I really want to make a review for, I'll toss one out. I'm actually very heartened by how well my review for Everything Everywhere All at Once is doing. It's actually done better than the reviews I did for either of the big, quote-unquote, studio movies that opened this past weekend. I think it just shows that people are excited about this film, and I am excited to share my love for it. Thanks again for watching. Thanks for Muffin, who's been back here in this little cubby the whole time. I bet you didn't even know that. That's her little paw right there. She just likes to hang out with me sometime. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.